Being human, do you ever wonder what makes us who we are? Our habits, preferences, or where we came from? We are expressing ourselves in thousands of ways every day through our choices. Let's have a conversation with people who are having interesting lives. My name is Alan Walker. I'm a doctor of chiropractic and a human being. Hello, I'm Alan Walker. I'm a doctor of chiropractic. And this is my second podcast in, this, in the series of Being Human. Uh, very fortunate today. We've got a, uh, a great PT with us uh, who works in Daventry. A very, very interesting life. And when I heard a little bit about it, I thought we must get him on the show. I think it would be really interesting for the listeners to, to find out more about um, Andre, Andre Zims, and where he was born, where he's come from, and eventually how he became uh, a PT in the Daventry area. But there's an awful lot of very interesting things about you and your life, um, and a, a lot of places that I want to talk to you about that mm-hmm. you've been. Um, so... If I could ask you first, Andre, um, whereabouts was it that you were born? Uh, I was born in uh, Poland, in Warsaw. Um, so a fair old time ago, um, almost 50 years ago. You uh, never, you were never 50? Nearly. 49? F- f- 49, so yeah. 50 next year. Okay. Um, so yeah, born in Warsaw, um, spent the first six years of my life there, uh, and then came to the UK in, uh, in 1980. So... Polish passport? No. Polish citizenship, but I don't have a Polish passport anymore. Um, so, British citizen, and um, just to throw into the mix a little bit of confusion, Australian passport as well. Um, I am eligible for a Polish passport, which um, following Brexit I will be uh, applying for. Yeah, that's an um, interesting thing just, to talk about. Bring just to make, my, to make my life a little bit easier travelling around Europe. Um, so, yeah, I will end up with three passports. Uh, in the not too distant future and how did you end up moving to the i guess did you come from poland to the uk or yep so um again a a slightly interesting convoluted story um so whenever anyone asks me where are you from it's like do you want the short version or the long one we want the long one we'll we'll go somewhere in the middle um so my father was a newsreader so in in poland he used to do the the nine o'clock news so people have our generation um, would sort of remember the the newscasters of the sort of the 80s and 90s. Trevor McDonald always sort of springs to mind uh, for, for people of our sort of age group. Um, so he was basically the nine o'clock newsreader. Um, in the nine, end of 1970s, uh, 79, 80, um, he was posted to London to act as foreign correspondent um, for... Uh, Polish TV news so family came to London initially for a two-year stint um, and then the trouble started in Poland martial law etc and we ended up staying in the UK from there on Um, so initially in London and then moved around a little bit again some interesting little bits of of life so it was my dad applied for political asylum for the whole family obviously um and because of his profile in poland there was a fear that my sister and i would actually get kidnapped um to force him to go back um so we had a few different agencies looking after us that back in the 1980s didn't officially exist they do now um namely mi6 um 
they looked after us for a few years moved us around until everything calmed down certainly in, in Warsaw uh, and in Poland the, the sort of political spectrum changed slightly things became a little bit easier uh, and we became British citizens uh, and stayed in the UK from there so moved to Reading and grew up essentially in, in Reading up until my sort of early teenage years. So there was you sort of left uh, due to the breakdown of the Soviet Union? It was it was prior to that um, so there, there was the sort of the start of what I suppose that the Eastern Bloc would class as the, the Troubles um, so that there was th- things were, were already starting to go a little bit amiss but it was it was before the Soviet Union breakup um, so 1981 martial law was um, inflicted or, or brought upon in, in Warsaw um, curfews etc um, and at that point all the foreign correspondents all of my dad's um, colleagues were being called back and essentially as soon as they got off the plane they were put into prison um, and my dad got the phone call saying can you come back bring the family back and he said thanks but no thanks we're staying here mm. did you live anywhere else you remember something about you lived in Berlin for a while Yep, so at the age of 13, um, so my dad then subsequently got a job with the BBC um, monitoring service, so he was translating um, essentially Polish news, regional news, radio news um, into English, and then that was analysed by various agencies in this country used for news and intelligence. Um, And... 1987 um, he was asked if he wanted to go to Berlin and do the job over there obviously a lot closer to Poland um, they could pick up more regional radio stations Um, so I was given the choice of would you like to go to Berlin with dad for three years or do you want to stay in England with mum and having sat there on the stairs in tears for about 10 minutes um, they said to me look if you go you don't like it, you can come back so I decided to go um, and that was probably the best decision that I made uh, was going to Berlin with Dad. English-speaking schools? Yep, yep. So I went to school in, it was West Berlin, so I went to school on a RAF base um, with all the forces brats um, and some diplomats kids, but essentially it was a school for forces kids on an RAF base in Berlin. And that was about the time of the um, the war? It was indeed, um, as coincidence would have it. So yeah, I was there from 87 till 1990. Wall came down in 89. Um, and at the time, the, the, the day it all happened, we actually, we hadn't, normally we had, it was called then, I don't know what it is now, it was BFBS, British Forces Broadcasting Services. Um, so it was British TV channels over there. Um, radio channels etc but for some reason we had no British TV that evening so I got home from school dad used to work till eight o'clock in the evening so I was essentially latchkey kid go in make some food do my homework stick the TV on and then make dinner for him ready when he got home good kid absolutely so um, my cooking skills improved over the three years when I lived over there with him um, so I had the German TV on, couldn't understand all of it, although lived in Germany, but it was a, a forces school, so English speaking. But the bits I could pick up, it's like, there's something going on here. Um, so I phoned up my dad, said, 
have they actually opened the wall? He said, not yet, but it looks like it's it's going to happen. And then he phoned me a couple of hours later. He said, yeah, they've opened the wall, turned TV back on, had a look, and there was crowds already building at Checkpoint Charlie. So I said, right, I'm off. I'm going to Checkpoint Charlie. I'll see you when I see you. He said, absolutely no chance of you going down there. Like, <laughs> Why not? He said, because you're waiting for me. And then we'll both go down. So yeah. he got home at nine o'clock in the evening and we jumped on the underground, went to Checkpoint Charlie, um, welcomed all the Trabants coming across the border and walked along the wall to the Brandenburg Gate Yeah, um, on top of the wall at the gate. Um, and recently there was the anniversary sort of TV program documentary of the wall coming down. I think they made it for the 25th anniversary. Um and if you squint, I have actually, my, my sister actually sent me a text message when that was on saying, is that you on the wall? And, and there is actually a shot of me. And, and if you squint and look to the left slightly, <laughs> I am actually up there on the wall wow. in, in, in one of the shots with the, uh, yeah, all the news yeah, stations up on the, on the platforms overlooking the wall. I've been to Checkpoint Charlie. I've, um, that, was an, I, that, that was amazing for me just to experience being in that area. Hmm. And you were actually on the wall. Yeah. I, although, you know, just talking, I can clearly see that there's, uh, we could join the dots up. We've got, you were, you were here when we've had Brexit. <laughs> you were here with uh, the break come down of the, the wall and uh, in, in, you were in Poland with all of the, the Eastern European troubles. So, yeah. yeah it's, I'm uh, a troublemaker. I don't know. <laughs> don't know. Hopefully. Maybe interesting times <laughs> follow me around. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So what, what happened then after, um, so in Berlin? Yep. What would you have done after that? You finished school there? Yep. So I did my GCSEs in Berlin um, and then moved back to the UK uh, when dad's posting finished, which coincided with me finishing school. Um, and then college in Henley-on-Thames. Nice. Um, so I did, uh, did, did my A-levels in Henley and then um, straight into work from there. Um, what was the work? Initially, it was... Um, I worked for Prudential Assurance, so working in their sort of pensions, life assurance admin. Um, at the time, Reading's biggest employer by far was Prudential Assurance. Um, that was essentially their head offices. They had, at that point, probably five or six office buildings in Reading. Um, so that was a rite of passage almost at the time um, in the early 90s. That was where everyone went and worked. Um, I got rather bored with the admin side of things, so I started dabbling with IT, um, got an internal transfer into one of their IT teams and ended up working my way up through that, um, primarily in software testing. Um, so basically trying to break their IT systems and telling them what's wrong with them. Um, so yeah, I, IT was, was the sort of the first real job. Uh, I think it still is um, big down there, IT, IT work. I know that... Um I think Amazon have got a huge place down there. and Yeah, they're, they're, they've. Um, I think Oracle are there as well. So yeah, IT and, and sort of software is, is still pretty big around that area. Prudential themselves have sort of moved on now. They've outsourced a lot of their stuff from what I understand. Um, but it, it, it was becoming, even sort of in the mid, late 90s, it was becoming almost sort of Silicon Valley because um, it was close enough to London but still a lot cheaper than London. It was 25 minutes on the train to, mm -hmm. to get to Paddington. Um, so a lot of the larger IT companies were setting up shop in Reading at the time. 
Where did you go after that? What was the? Did you stay in this country? Or um, so after that, that was where are we? So two or three different jobs in the IT world, um, all around that sort of Thames Valley area, so Reading, Slough, um, and then in two thousand and two, um, I was I found out I was being made redundant, um, and again by pure coincidence, um, an opportunity came up for me to move to Australia, initially on a, a two-year contract uh, with my partner at the time. Um, and again, everything just seemed to line up. So the redundancy money, it wasn't huge. I hadn't been with that company for very long, but it paid for my airfare to, to get to Australia. Um, and it meant I had a couple of months of slack when I got to Australia um, to find a job. So off, off I went. Um, 2002 moved to Australia like I say initially for two years but ended up staying there for for 13. So you're working when you were there what sort of work were you doing? Um, again initially straight into IT um, that that was the the sort of the path of least resistance almost stick with what I know um, but then after about a year of that realized that there was a gap in the market um, certainly in Brisbane. At the time, Brisbane, back in the early sort of 2000s, was still a big town as opposed to a, a capital city. Um, and it was more about who you knew, contacts. Um, it, it was a very small town feel, although an awful lot of money and it was a, a massive city. Um, and the gap in the market for someone that understood the IT industry that could also do recruitment and place those people. So um, took a risk, um, went out on my own, set up an IT recruitment company uh, in its in its heyday. I had eight employees turning over somewhere in the region of $5 million a year. Wow. Um, and yeah, it, it was it was going gangbusters, did very well. And then I got to a point it wasn't directly related to my father's death, but it was around the time when he died. Um, I sort of started getting a bit twitchy and thinking there's more to life than just chasing money. Um, and then after I got, I can't manage to actually come back to England uh, a week before he passed away. Um, so I spent a week with him. I was here when he died and then went back to Australia had a bit of a, a reevaluation of things back then um, and decided that, I wasn't going to do what I had to do anymore because I didn't have to do it. There was no kids in the mix. There was no debt. So I didn't need to keep chasing chasing money. Yeah. Um, and decided that I was going to do what I wanted to do. Um, and that was move into the, the fitness world and PT. So wow, personal training. Change. Yeah. So it's basically, some, some would call it a midlife crisis, but I've sort of essentially gone from running a multi-million dollar company to probably now being the poorest I've ever been, but probably the happiest. Was that the first time you ever picked up a dumbbell? Or, uh? No, no, I'd, I'd sort of trained on and off for most of my adult life. Uh, so from the age of sort of 18, 19, in and out of gyms, but more just playing at it. Never really any, any great focus. Um, still pains me to say it now, but up until the time I moved to Australia, I actually used to smoke, so... I'd be walking out of the gym with a cigarette in my mouth and didn't think anything of it. Yeah. They, um, they were the days, though, weren't they? <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it was it was something that I 
thought I wanted to do and at the time I had nothing to lose because it didn't mean closing the company it just meant I left the people that were working for me to carry on working for me I went away studied still worked when I had to um, and as it turned out the the PTing increased my the time I spent in the fitness industry increased the time I spent in my recruitment business reduced so naturally the balance shifted um, and I essentially sort of moved into the fitness world full time and just left a couple of people in the company ticking things over. We still ran um, return business, word of mouth. I stopped selling in it um, and that sort of dwindled down over time and the, I guess the passion took over. Yeah, no, I've, I've been in a similar situation myself in my life. And so you didn't ever do any other sports in your early... Um, in my early 20s, um, well, I used to water ski when I was at school. So being at school in Berlin and it being a forces school, we had access to all of their right. sports facilities, which included the British Berlin Yacht Club. So windsurfing, water skiing, sailing were all activities we could do for games and PE. Um, we also, nice. yeah, not bad. Um, in winter, it wasn't just go and play rugby or football. We had the option to go ice skating, um, open air ice skating rinks. So the opportunities I got by being in Berlin, other than educational, was just out of this world. Um, and one of the things that I sort of got a bit of a passion for at that point was was water skiing. Um, having come back to Reading. It's uh, always the coolest looking sport. <laughs> it's, 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 yeah, it's, once you can do it, it, it yeah. looks pretty good. Um, so back to Reading in early 90s and then found a, a water ski club. Um, ran, it was actually run by a guy called John Battleday who in the 80s, 90s, he was world-class water skier. For uh, the UK? Yep. Yeah, British guy. He's, he still actually runs um, a water ski school uh, near Thorpe Park, um, JB Water Ski. And um, basically it was full, fully professional setup. So they had boats, they had coaches, turn up, pay your money and get taught to ski. And as the time sort of went on, I thought, I'm not, not too bad at this. Um, and then eventually started competing in the British Water Ski League. Wow. Um, so that would have been sort of probably mid nineties by that point, um, up until moving to Australia. So for probably five, six years, um, used to travel during the summer all around the country, competing at various sites in, in water skiing. Wasn't the best at it, but it was something I enjoyed. You were competing at a high yeah. level by the sound of it. Yeah. Was there much of that done in Brisbane, water skiing? Initially, we struggled to find anywhere. Um, the thought in Australia of paying someone to take you water skiing was very alien because over there they're very outdoorsy everyone's got their own boats and, and they just over there you, you can go water skiing on the river so you, you could literally ski on the river through the centre of the city um, you know imagine doing that in London yeah no, <laughs> wouldn't happen no. um, but we eventually did find a water ski lake which had a similar setup to what I was used to here um, and I started competing again over there um 2013 I was part of the Queensland team in the Australian wow. Nationals uh, which were taking place down in New South Wales 
So I skied in the Australian National Championships for Queensland as part of their team. And I was ranked 152nd in the world that year in the over 35 senior men's division. Um, so that was my little claim to fame. Yeah. 152nd in the world isn't too bad. No, not really. <laughs> Oh, shit. I think those are something to be proud of. Mm. Eight billion people on the planet, 157 of them can actually uh, yeah. all skate that level. And so, so you eventually you, you, you got bored in Australia, you decided to... No, so, so there, there was a, a sort of a natural window of opportunity with the business dwindling down. Um, I didn't want to leave Australia while the business was still up and running and, and very successful. Um, and as the balance shifted... Uh, that there was an option to buy a, a gym over in Brisbane. Um, that didn't work out. The the finances didn't stack up. When I looked at the books, things just, yeah, there was too many red flags. Um, so it was either try and find another business over there or come back to the UK and essentially start again as a PT in the UK. So that was that was the option that, that we ended up taking and came back to the UK in 2015. Um, initially worked for a large commercial gym as an employed PT and then to just over two years ago started as self-employed personal trainer in Daventry. Got you. Okay. And your, your average clients, what sort of people are they? Go for these? There, 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 there is no average. Um, I mean, I've, I've literally got everything from girls in their 20s to to. to People who are probably, I've got one lady who's coming up to 60. Um, it, it is the full spectrum. Um, some have got very specific goals, um, be that strength or training for events. Um, some, it's a confidence thing. Um, so they sort of use me because that they'd never walk into a gym if I wasn't there. Um, and, and that's kind of why I do the job. Um, and that's only become apparent in the last few years. I think as I've got older, I've appreciated what I do and why more so. Um, so, you know, it, it's it's the guy who would have probably been, had the hell bullied out of him at school, um, would never walk into a gym because he's skinny, he's very self-conscious, has a chat to me, what do you think? Yeah, come in. The only time he comes into the gym is with me, comes in three or four times a week. And the change in him mentally is actually for me more satisfying than seeing his physical change. Yeah. Because now when he comes in, he holds himself differently. You can see there's a, there's a confidence about him. It, it's not about that, yeah, he's got slightly bigger chest and he's got muscles here and muscles there, but it, it's just his own self-confidence. Um, how he it, thinks about himself yeah, how he thinks yeah, about his yeah. own body yeah, just, just, just his own self-esteem has changed um, you know it, it's the person with autism and ADHD who again would never go into the gym on their own phone me up can we have a chat first time they came in wringing their hands sitting in the corner looking around absolutely petrified now after probably 18 months of training with me happy to go into the gym on their own so now only trains once a week with me, goes in on their own three or four times. Yeah. But when they first started, it was three sessions a week with me, would never step into the gym on their own. 
So psychological changes yeah. with people. And of yeah. course, there's other changes as well, isn't there? Mm. There's the uh, physiological changes that the people understand health. And I think that the two are very much interlinked. If, if your body's healthier, your mind's healthier, and if your mind's healthier, your body's healthier, it, it, it's got to happen together. Um, it's all good and well going to the gym and then going down the pub straight afterwards and having a couple of pints going, yeah, I've done my bit. Um, but mentally, is, is that going to really solve anything? Is that going to help? Physically, you're probably undoing everything that you've done in the gym. But ultimately, if you're happier in your own skin, you'll be happier in your own head. That That's, that's my view on it. Yeah. Um, you know, people who aren't happy in their own skin are generally the ones that are unhappier in their in their mind. So that the two are very much linked. Yeah, I'd agree, I'd agree with that. I'd agree with that. What about what's your um, what's your take on hydration and uh, these days? You know, <laughs> people are drinking you're drinking plenty of water. I mean, how much water do you think is enough? Personally, I, I don't <clears throat> think there's ever enough. Um, I mean, our bodies are anything from sort of 55 to 60% water. You know, we, we are essentially walking water vessels. Um, you only need to lose 5% of that before things start going wrong, 10%, and you could end up in hospital. So, you know, for, for me personally, I've just got into the habit, and, and this has been happening now for, it's probably about five, six years ago I started it, bottle of water next to my bed, first thing I do when I wake up is I down the entire thing. So, you know, we're not talking a massive bottle, probably 700 mil. Um, you know, start off with a glass, then make it a larger glass. But that, to me, just just sets me up. So literally wake up, roll over, down a pint of water, and that just starts things going. So before I've even got out of bed, essentially. Do you find it helps you wake up as well? It does, actually, yeah. It, it it just becomes part of the the routine um, rather than sort of rolling out of bed and bouncing off the walls trying to find a coffee. Don't need a coffee. Just down a water and then do whatever. And yeah, then go and put the kettle on, have a coffee, have your breakfast. Um, but what a lot of people struggle with, and, and it's food marketing, I think has a lot to answer for. Um, social media has a lot to answer for. I think those two things in, in, in conjunction have actually broken the fitness industry and people's perception of health and wellness um, because we're essentially lied to um, by food marketing and drinks marketing. Um, there's obviously now everything's got extra protein in it. Every, you, know, you walk down the cereal aisle, you've got extra protein, extra protein. The ingredients haven't changed. You know, muesli has always had nuts in it, which is a source of protein. Yeah. Now, muesli with extra protein. It's, it's exactly the same recipe as it was 10 years ago. But now, because it's got the word protein on it, people are, are going to have some of that because that's good for me. And obviously, with the extra word of protein, up goes the price. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the, the, the food industry is very good at, upselling and selling what they want to sell same goes for drinks energy drinks probably the most popular thing on the market right now loaded with sugar loaded with caffeine um and the fact that you can't actually 
buy them if you're under 16 i think is is probably a good thing um although i guess a lot of supermarkets and smaller retailers don't don't really sort of bother with that it's not as regulated as sort of cigarettes or alcohol but you know th- those energy drinks there's absolutely no nutritional value in those whatsoever um and people because of the way that they're sold to us people believe that oh, if, I, if i get that i mean e- even when we were kids and you were ill mum always got a bottle of Lucasaid. well that's just sugar absolutely yeah. there's, there's there's no vitamins there's no minerals there's no nutritional value in it but when i was a kid you know 10 years old if i was ill a bottle of Lucasaid would always appear in the house have some sugar that'll fix it yeah. and 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 that's got worse progressively worse because now it's 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 more hidden and and the messages around food it's it's very ambiguous i couldn't believe it when um, i remember being when with someone's uh, one of my friends around their house and their uh, parents were there and the grandparents were there and there's something about salt and sugar came up and i remember the grandparent the grandmother saying something about uh don't you know you do need salt in your diet and she was talking about table salt well yeah. the table salt isn't one of the salts that we do need in our diet there's no human nutritional value in that at all oh was something else i was reading the other day which i found really interesting that was the the big mac mcdonald's big mac you know the place where you can go and take your children for a, a birthday party mm-hmm. in a mcdonald's big mac there is three grams of salt. Yep. And I thought, well, yeah, I can sort of, like, that's what I was sort of expecting. But what I wasn't expecting was there's nine grams of sugar. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, close to 10 grams of sugar. Sugar. Yep. Nine, yep. There's three times as much sugar in yep. a Big Mac than there is. And of course, salt and sugar has no nutritional value at all no. to the human body, um, so it, which is just, other than with sugar, the energy. That you yep. can you can gain from it in its purest form, which will go straight to fat. So yeah, I was just uh, amazed reading that. I knew they weren't good, but I didn't realise how not. But but good also they were. knowing that if you go and have a burger at McDonald's and and you have some of that doughy bread, you can actually taste the sugar in it. Start noticing what's yeah. going on inside yeah. a, a Big Mac. Yeah. I mean, obviously, starch turns to glucose anyway, so if you chew a piece of bread long enough, it will start tasting sweet. But the the bread used in McDonald's, as soon as you put it in your mouth, you can start tasting the sweetness. Yeah. Um, can I ask you what the future is for yourself, Andrew? What, 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 <laughs> is there a future? Do you have um, a- What is the future? Um, at the moment, I'm, I'm very happy doing what I'm doing. Um, and despite my, my years, I, I'm hoping to be to be doing this for... a a while longer um I'm, I'm sort of thinking another hoping another 10 maybe 15 years in the industry um and yeah if your body holds up that <laughs> is, yeah yeah hopefully but you know as, as, a, as a personal trainer people also think and there's a misconception that i have to do everything with my clients i don't i'm there to advise i'm there to make sure they're safe that they're doing things correctly so i don't work out with my clients yes i, I work out every day on my own but if I see five, six clients in a day, there's no way I could work out five, six times with each client. So a lot of my job is is verbal um, and it's, it's giving instructions, it's advice, uh, it's programming. So there's a lot of admin as well, working from home, it's, it's writing programs. Um, 
So even if my body does give up, I can I can probably carry on successfully doing doing the job I do at the moment. It'd probably upset me a little bit if I can't train myself, um, but I'm hoping that's not something that'll happen. Um, long term, uh, I'd like to go back to Australia, um, and we're talking a long long way down the track. So retirement, um, it'd be nice to sort of sell up, buy a buy a nice camper van with an air conditioning unit. Um, and and circumnavigate Australia, just jump in and and drive. The whole country would be of interest to you. Absolutely, yeah. Because even living there for twelve years, that it's it's vast. It's 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 enormous. Um, so I've I've only seen a very very small fraction of it. Um, and up north, you've got you've got the tropics. Then you've got um, the, the the deserts. Uh, you've got snowfields down south. Uh, you've got the reefs either side. Uh, so you've got Barrier Reef on one side. On the east coast, you've got Nigaloo Reef on the west coast on the Indian Ocean. The country's so diverse that you, you could spend years driving around there and probably still not catch all of it. A good way to spend your last 30 or 40 yeah. years on uh, this and, and, and there is actually a, a whole community that actually call them grey nomads in Australia. Um, who do exactly that they they sell everything all material goods everything they own sell it buy a buy a winnebago or a camper van and just just travel travel around the country something else i read remind me about the winnebago that someone uh was took winnebago to court apparently because they uh, j- jumped in the back seat from driving it mm. set it onto auto drive what's right that? What so they, some sort of autopilot thing. Autopilot <laughs> and put the kettle on and it crashed. Shocking. And because it wasn't made clear to them that actually it wouldn't be a safe thing to do. You can't leave your seat. It's, uh, yeah, that, that, was, that made me laugh. Something I read a few years ago. Um, so, look, it's been really great having you. I really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. There's some very inter- interesting parts to your life. And uh, I'd hope that you'd come back if I ask. Yeah, yeah, in, absolutely. In the, we, can, we can come back and have another chat and delve a little bit deeper the, into that. the health and wellness side of things. Andre Zims, thank you very much for, you. for joining us on the podcast. Thank you very much. Um, so that's the last of uh, what we're talking about today on the second of our podcasts. And if you like what you've heard or seen, if you've been watching it on uh, YouTube, then please like and subscribe. Thank you all very much. Thank you, Andre Zim. Thank you.